Hi, y'all. Welcome to Cracks, a podcast about big pivots, beautiful diversions, and essential truths of life, and of course, circus. I'm Jessica John. I was a CIA analyst who, at the pinnacle of my career, fell in love with being upside down. So I'm asking friends and experts, and sometimes myself, to share knowledge and tools about how they are finding their way through movement, through business, and through life. All right, let's get to the fucking point. Welcome to Coach on Fire. I just want to start off and thank you for coming live if you're here live today um, because you've chosen to take some time out of your day to do this and it shows what a commitment you have to becoming a better coach. But even if you're not here live, um, still signing up for this, you're making a choice to like improve your skills and um, do the best by your students. So that is super commendable. So who is this training for? It's for you if you're a movement coach, you're looking for the best way to support your students that's going to have a lasting impact on them. You want some simple strategies that you can implement in your next class right away. <laughs> and you believe that your coaching can help transform your clients' lives. And it doesn't matter which discipline you're in, silks, lira, pole, etc. cetera. Um, if you're an aerialist, if you're a pole artist, if you're a circus artist, really, if you're a movement artist of any kind, although we'll be speaking specifically to more circus and pole skills, um, all of those disciplines uh, apply, all of coaching really applies to what we're going to be talking about today. After this training, you are going to be clear on an easy approach to start building buy-in with your students, and we'll explain a little bit about what that means exactly, how to facilitate trust and connection through creating space agreements in your classes, in your one-on-ones, your private lessons, or in your facilities if you're an owner of a studio, how to change culture within your studio environment or class environment from that of one perfect technique to one of adaptability and autonomy in your classes, and how to determine the appropriate challenges to give students to help them foster their own self-belief. So who am I? Why should you listen to what I have to say on this? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jessica. 
Um, I'm a former lawyer and CIA analyst. We won't get into that. That's a former life. Um, but what you need to know is that I fell hard for aerial silks in 2009. Um, while I had this very professional government career. And at the time, the coaching that I had wasn't all bad, but it was really my way or the highway. Meaning if you didn't do it the way that your coach said to do it, really there were no other options, right? There was one or two or maybe three coaches in the area who did that thing. And if it didn't work for you, then really you had no other choices for training. So I started teaching really early in my aerial career, and I got broken pretty darn often. I recognized at the time that what was needed was a lot more training for aerial and pole coaches. Um, I also worked in a pole studio. And that just didn't exist for aerialists at that time. I've spent the last decade learning the most that I can about all of the different things that impact coaching from dance movement analysis, strength training, gyrotonic, where I spent thousands of hours working to become a trainer, somatics, trauma-informed space holding, culture making, racial equity, et cetera. Everything that is going to help coaches thrive and get the best possible results for their students and clients. And I have helped thousands of aerial and pole artists get their dream skills, become adored, beloved instructors, and launch their coaching businesses, often online. So I have a lot of programs. I'm not going to get into um, all of them today, ranging from certification on inversions to a 200-hour teacher training that I will talk about at the end of this um, business coaching through Circus Business Accelerator and a business mastermind uh, called Deepus. So what is this session going to look like? We'll be here for about an hour. I apologize in advance. Sometimes I go over. I try my best. Uh, if you have any questions, drop them in the chat and I will get them get to them at the end of this. Um, if you need to leave, don't worry, if it's in the chat, I will answer it at the end and you can look at the video and get the answer. And make sure you get comfortable or you move around, do what you need to do in the course of this section. Grab a snack, grab some tea, light a candle, whatever it is that makes you feel comfortable in your space. And I'd like to start off the session also by being really clear about my values. And this is something that I would encourage you to do in general. <laughs> um, but this is my anti-oppression pledge. I commit to seeing and naming the pervasiveness of white supremacy and racism within myself, our community, and beyond. I commit to ongoing lifelong anti-racism, anti-oppression, and trauma competency education. I commit to being open to conflict, allowing for discomfort and repairing harm when it occurs. I commit to investing in the Black and Indigenous communities on an ongoing basis. 
and I'm committed to leading an anti-oppressive, trauma-competent company with a zero-tolerance policy for the dehumanization of others. A little aside here, I put this into all of the work that I do, um, but don't be afraid to do it in your own work as well. It's just going to make the people that you want to work with come to you and want to work with you. So don't be afraid of putting your values forward. All right, so starting off today, I like to do also a little two-word check-in. This is also something that I do if I were to have live classes, although perhaps not in this exact format, format but it's really important to um, get a sense of how the room is doing before you dive into any topic. And so if I'm working online, I like to do a two-word check-in, and that today is just, how are you feeling? doesn't have to be a big story about it, just two words, drop them in the chat and let everyone know how you're feeling today. Um, my two words for today are excited and hmm, I'm going to say outside, that doesn't make any sense, but what I mean by that is I'm ready to get outside and go for a walk later in the day. I haven't been outside yet. So whatever your two words are, drop them in the chat. If you're listening to this after in the recording, um, then go ahead and think those words to yourself. In the chat, we have positive, enthusiastic, optimistic, and overwhelmed. That is a common thing for me to feel as well. <laughs> Tired. Actually, I, that's like my whole personality, optimistic and overwhelmed. Uh, tired, snuggly. Awesome. Anxious and somewhat hopeful. Great. Okay, so let's dive in to what you came here to talk about. I believe that there are two common things Ariel and Pole coaches want. Number one, you want more students because if you don't have students, then you're, you're not coaching, right? And number two, you want more impact on your students. So let's talk a little bit about number one, and then we'll go on to number two. You want more students, but you feel like you have no control over that. Um, so you're, you're not making much progress toward that goal of getting more students. You maybe feel stuck because there's only one studio in town and that's where you work and you can't set your own schedule or your own pay. Um, you doubt yourself a little bit, right? You have a job coaching, but you're thinking, mm, maybe I don't even know enough to be coaching. Or maybe I don't know enough to be coaching the students that I have. 
you don't know how to attract new students, right? You rely on the studio for bringing in the students to your classes and you don't know how to do any of that on your own, although there may be some expectation that you do. You spend a lot of time perfecting your own skills instead of perfecting your coaching skills. And it's not because necessarily you want to be better at performing that skill for a, a gig or a demo reel or something like that. You're doing it because you think it's going to show people that you're a better coach, but those two things don't necessarily go together. And do you think it takes a fancy website and professional photos to show that you're a great coach? And as soon as I say that, you know, you're thinking, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> How could a website and photos show anything about your coaching? Um, but we get into this um, narrative that looking prof professional means you're professional. The solution that many coaches miss when it comes to attracting more students is truly having unique coaching expertise that sets you out, sets you apart in a crowded field, right? You have some, some special sauce. You have something that other people don't have when it comes to coaching. And you get your students amazing results. And you can do that by actually having relationships with your students and seeing them as the whole person that they are. The other thing that you want is to have impact on your students. But sometimes in trying to get the impact that you want, you might be more invested in getting them certain skills than they are. And maybe because of that, you're trying to fix body problems that are way outside of your scope of practice. You're not a physical therapist. Uh, you're not a psychologist. <laughs> you're not all of these things, but you feel like in order to help your students, you need to be all of those things. Maybe you are giving homework. So you want your students to have the skill um, and you know that in order for them to get there, they need to get stronger or more flexible or all of these things. And you're giving them homework that they just never seem to do. Maybe you're teaching skills that you've never quite mastered yourself. And it doesn't mean that you have to be able to do everything that you teach. Lots of gymnastics coaches um, do a great job at teaching skills that they've never done themselves. But in teaching skills that you've never mastered, you're missing some of that deeper understanding of the skills and how they work on different bodies. And maybe you're just doing a whole lot of people pleasing because you want to make your students happy. So what happens there is this puts a whole lot of pressure on you as a coach. And the results that your students get are kind of subpar, right? 
your clients don't implement your suggestions, you feel frustrated, you're not fulfilled by your coaching. And you maybe have this deeper sense that the way you've been taught to coach just isn't working for your clients. And it's not working for you either. You're burnt out, you're overwhelmed, etc. So there's a simple reason why this doesn't work so well. And the answer is you don't have buy-in from your students, right? Students are showing up, they're listening to what you have to say, but they don't really have buy-in in the way you coach and the, um, the approach that you're taking. Why not? What, what is buy-in about? It's really about trust, right? Your students don't trust you. That sounds kind of harsh, but why should they trust you? What is trust? So according to Charles Feltman, who is a researcher on trust and belonging, trust is choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's actions. I'm going to say that one more time. Choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's actions. When you phrase it like this, um, it's, it's surprising that we trust anyone anytime, right? If there's something that you really valuable, basically by trusting someone else, it can be taken away from you. So if we're thinking about our students in a classroom, if they trust, if they value um, their sense of safety, if they value their sense of belonging with other people, if they, you know, they have different values by trusting you, they could be jeopardizing that. So when a student is asking the internal question, should I trust you? Should I trust you as my coach? What they're really asking is these four things. Do you care? Are you sincere? Are you reliable? And are you competent? So as far as care goes, do you have my interests in mind as well as your own? As far as being sincere, are you honest with facts and emotions? Do you have integrity? Do you walk your talk? As far as reliability, do you keep your commitments? And then competence. Do you have the ability to follow through? Are your standards clear and do you share them? So just take a second and reflect a little bit um, with how you show up in the spaces that you're in, how you show up in your coaching spaces. And if someone were to ask all of these questions, what would the answers typically be? Sometimes th there's a harsh <laughs> reality here, right? Where some of these, it might be really clear. You know that your students um, see how much you care for them and think that you have their interests in mind. But do you keep your commitments? It seems like you have a lot of subs for your classes. 
and your students don't know why, right? They don't know what's going on in your life. All they see is that maybe you don't keep your commitments. So you can see how if you go down this list pretty quickly, someone could not completely trust you based upon how you're showing up. Number two, so going back, you don't have buy-in, why not? Ariel isn't a big priority in their lives. I mean, this one's a hard one for us to stomach because, well, this is our lives, right? We made a choice to become Ariel or pole coaches. Um, and it's a big part of who we are. It's a big part of our identities, but it's not a big part yet of our students' identities. So we can kind of impose this upon our students and make assumptions about how big a priority Ariel is in their lives. And you have to remember that students, clients, they have a lot going on in their lives. So if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we have down at the bottom our physiological needs, water, sleep, breathing, etc. And then we have what makes us safe. So things like family, employment, money, property, etc., health. Then up above that, we have love and belonging. This is where our partnerships, our friendships, etc., come into play. Then above that, esteem, respect of others, self-esteem, achievement, confidence. So if you if you look at this esteem tier, this is really where we're talking about people come in with a hobby and are looking to get a sense of achievement and self-esteem. Well, if people do not have their basic needs met, this achievement tier is not going to be a high priority for them. And certainly if we go up one more to self-actualization, creativity, spontaneity, problem solving, etc., that's not even coming into play at all. So there shouldn't be any surprise that students sign up for your classes and have the best of intentions. But if they're having food scarcity issues, um, issues in their partnership, et cetera, all of that is gonna trump whatever is happening in your classes. And number three, they don't have buy-in because they don't feel like they matter. And this goes into this um, love and belonging aspect. Mattering has to do with belonging. So mattering is brought about by feeling valued and having opportunities to add value. So when students come into your classes, do they feel valued? Do they have opportunities to add value? If you can create an environment in your classes that builds trust, fosters belonging, 
and therefore has more importance in the student's hierarchy of needs, then you're building a space that is more important to your students and has more value for them. But how do you create this environment? One of the places that you can work on creating the environment that fosters belonging and trust is by creating a space agreement and fostering what we like to term a brave space. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't, um, but this gets into the idea that you cannot create a safe space for people, only the individuals themselves can create their own internal sense of safety. All you can do is create a space where people feel empowered and can take brave action. And the way that you can do this is by, in part, creating a space agreement. So you cannot create safety. I will say that all over and over again. Safety is a word that has um, thrown about a lot in Ariel because what we do has inherent risk. <laughs> but you cannot create safety. You can only create brave, strong, and regulated spaces so others can access their internal sense of safety. What are brave spaces, right? You look at this and you think, yes, <laughs> I need to, need to do this in my classes. How, how do I do it? Brave spaces have active presence, deep listening, trust and connection. So when you are within that space, you are very present for your students. You're really listening to them and that helps foster belonging and connection with them. Brave spaces also contain the moment. What does that mean? The moment, or let's say the class, has a start and an end, right? People don't just uh, come in and out of them at any time, right? They have a beginning and an end. Why would you want to have a beginning and an end because it allows people to um, find their sense of safety by the parameters that you've set on the space. It allows people to regulate their nervous system to the container that you've created. So let's say for example, you have a class and you know that most of your students are coming directly from work. So they're rushing, they're going through uh, rush hour traffic to get there. They have all of these things that have, could have taken place in their day, in their jobs. And in order for them to be present within their bodies and to not go into the space with their nervous system on high alert, fight or flight, um, it's really helpful for them to do some sort of grounding activity that puts them into the space at the beginning of the session. And then same thing at the end that helps them re-enter into the world from that container that you've created at the end of the session. 
So maybe at the beginning of the session, it is something like the two word check-in that I did at the beginning. And then maybe at the end of the session, there is something going around in the circle that talks about um, how you felt with the class today. You're just creating boundaries on the class that allows people to contain that moment within those boundaries. And then brief spaces also attuned to the intersections of identities, power, and space to be taken and given. What does that mean? It just means that we are acknowledging that people in our spaces come from all different walks of life. They come from places of power and privilege and lack of power and privilege. And that space is recognizing those differences. Brave spaces also have the ability to recognize multiple truths. There are no black and white answers to pretty much anything. They go beyond the surface, right? This is not a, a good vibes space. That idea of everyone putting on a facade and showing up the way that is acceptable to show up um, is not a, a way a brave space operates. Right? Brave spaces allow people to be who they are within those spaces. And they have discernment, meaning that they, um, they are actively looking at ways to, um, to be aware and make distinctions between uh, different types of problems and differences. So how do we create this brave space framework? within the context of a classroom, we increase access to choices within a class. So that can come from having an adaptable framework for how the class is run, right? Adaptable meaning when things show up in front of you, you can quickly change course. The classes have optional participation People can always choose not to participate. There are lots of modifications for different bodies, um, preferences with regard to learning, et cetera. People can always opt out of anything at any time. There are accessible accommodations, um, and if they there are not accessible accommodations. Those are clearly stated before someone signs up for your class. There are just more options in general and there are clear space agreements. I keep coming back to the space agreement concept. So what is a space agreement? It's a collaborative consensual agreement for how you and your students or clients can show up and engage in the spaces being co-created together. So collaborative, consensual co-creation. This is acknowledging that 
what is happening between you and your student is a relationship, right? You are relating with each other. This is not a top-down, instructive relationship. This is one of collaboration, consent, and co-creation. Why is this important? It sets clear expectations and boundaries within the space. It outlines your scope of practice, meaning what you will and won't do based upon your expertise and credentials. It offers clarity around the format of the class. It allows for people to take responsibility for their own actions and be accountable for them. It sets guidelines for everyone on how to show up in class, whether that is, you know, what is acceptable to where to train certain skills or whether that's how we treat the other people in the class around us. It supports consent and choice because if people are very clear on the expectations, they have the ability to opt out or opt in. And it supports co-creation and collaboration because they have taken a role in setting expectations and boundaries, creating that buy-in that we were talking about earlier. So what is in a space agreement? There are non-negotiables, pre-developed elements, and co-developed elements. Non-negotiables are the things that you probably think about already in the context of a contract. So what are the things that absolutely people cannot do in your spaces? And again, this might be something that's developed at a studio level, um, not at a class level. So what can't they do, um, let's say, Students are not allowed to get on the fabric before the teacher enters the class, right? Um, or we have a no tolerance policy with regard to hate, discrimination, etc. These are the things that are essential to the safety and security of the container, meaning if, if these things are breached, no one is going to be able to access their own sense of safety. And it, it just destroys the class environment. And then there are the pre-developed things. These are the things as a coach that you can come up with. These are the expectations that people should have of each other and the space, that the participants, the students, can review ahead of time and enter into. And this, again, could be something where um, they see it ahead of time before they sign up for your class, right? This is something that perhaps could be in the, the class description. So pre-developed aspects of a space agreement might have to do with um, any sort of prerequisites that your class has. It's important for people to know that, right? Because otherwise people would show up, don't know what those prerequisites are, and then feel like you were withholding something or feel less than other people in the class, et cetera. And then there's co-developed. 
co-developed are the elements that you co-develop with your class once you already have it together. And this is what helps create buy-in and co-ownership of the space. This creates accountability. So an example of a co-developed element of a space agreement um, might have something to do with um, how you talk about the work that you do in the class together. For example, a lot of times there's a lot of negative self-talk in classes, right? Oh, I just can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. And perhaps part of what you co-develop in the space together is that you don't use this sort of language in the class because it impacts not just you, but everyone else in the class. So in this space agreement, um, if we're talking, so we have a space agreement, right? And this is going to help people access their own internal sense of safety and create this brave space. What is your role as a coach in this brave space? Right? People have agreed to it at this point. You have your space agreement. But what can uh, you do as the coach, both before you open the space or start a class, during the space, during the class, and at the end, right? We're bounding the space. So it's really important for you as a coach to, before you even enter the class, to regulate your own nervous system. This is one of, one of the biggies, right? I was talking about people going from rush hour traffic into class and being dysregulated in their nervous systems. But you also <laughs> fall into this, right? You show up to the studio and you have an interaction with the owner that kind of is frustrating. And next thing you know, you're teaching and you're bringing that into the space. So what are the practices that you can use to regulate your nervous system before you enter the space? Is that just lying down and doing a minute of deep breathing? Is it, you know, a minute of journaling? Whatever it is, what can you do to regulate your own nervous system? Because people in your classes will pick up on that. If you are dysregulated, you are bringing that dysregulation into your class. Also to check your privilege and bias, to clearly communicate your scope, right? what you will and won't do. Uh, there's scope of practice, which is what you are qualified or credentialed to do or not do. But you also might have boundaries that you also clearly communicate, like I won't teach skills off of Instagram. I'm not, there's no judgment there, right? Um, but if you have those own boundaries, you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel safe, teaching something that you don't really understand, then communicating that within your scope of practice um, is really important so that people understand what will or won't happen within your class. And then being aware of your own capacity and needs, just like I was talking with boundaries. 
how do you hold the space once it's already open? So how do you conduct your class? Check in and pause when needed. Sometimes simply taking a beat, taking a breath, and then moving on um, can be really helpful. Listening, always listening to your students to better understand and meet people where they are. Staying present, discerning the pace. That's meaning um, what is the pace of your class, right? Is, are things moving too quickly for people? So looking around and recognizing when your internal pace isn't the same pace as the students around you. And then reminding people about the space agreements that they've entered into um, if things seem to be uh, pushing against those boundaries. And then finally, closing the space. So how do you close a space? You tie up any loose ends. So let's say at the beginning of class, you said, we're going to cover X, Y, and Z, but you only covered X and Y. Instead of just leaving Z hanging out there at the end of class, you say, we didn't get to Z, we'll do that next class, or we didn't get to Z, um, we don't have time for that this session, etc. but tying up any loose ends. Following up with anything that, um, that a student asked a question about that you didn't have time to answer, et cetera. And then debriefing if necessary. This means that if any harm has been caused in the space, right? Something happened that violated your space agreement that after the session is over, you reach out to the person and you have a conversation about whatever transpired um, it's really helpful there within a space agreement to have a repair plan, which is simply, if these things are violated, this is what's going to happen to make sure we repair the harm that's been caused. And that allows people to know that you're taking it very seriously and what exactly is going to happen down the road. And then regulating your own nervous system, right? We did it to open the space. Things can happen within the space that cause people to become dysregulated. It simply could be working on a tough skill that has a lot of fear surrounding it. Closing the space, we want to, again, try to downregulate. So speaking of fear, <laughs> brave aerial impulse spaces help students choose the appropriate amount of challenge, right? It's going to be hard to create regulated nervous systems if you're constantly asking your students to operate outside of their comfort level, way outside of their comfort level, right? We're not talking about perhaps pushing the boundaries of what they think is possible for their own bodies. We're talking about um, constantly challenging them too much so that they feel like they're not uh, capable or they feel like what they're doing is impossible. So this gets into um, learning. 
And there's this idea of the Goldilocks principle. So in order for a person to maximize their learning, the difficulty needs to be just right to encourage that learning. So we see here on this chart, we have low to high potential for learning on one axis, and we have low to high task difficulty on the other axis. And if you look at the top for a beginner, right, in, in the beginning of learning new skills, the learning curve um, is such that a beginner learns things a lot really quickly. So, but then it kind of tapers off. Whereas an expert is the not going to learn as much as quickly. So when we're thinking about leveling of classes, and again, I'm not gonna get into um, whether classes should be leveled or shouldn't be leveled. That's a, a different discussion. But when we're thinking about the beginner, the novice to whatever you're teaching, small challenges in the beginning result in a very large learning effect. But too great of a challenge will result in little learning. So in beginner classes, if you want people to learn a lot, give them lots of small challenges. As a coach, our jobs are to create the learning conditions that stretch the learner just beyond their comfort zone, ensuring a fresh dose of information is always avail available, right? So if we give them a little bit of a challenge, and they get it, then we need to, right after that, give them the next little challenge and the next little challenge. You may have heard of the idea of the 10,000 hour rule. That is simply that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in whatever it is. Um, that's not true. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a made up, Thing. According to the research of Dr. Anders Ericsson, the differences between expert performers and normal adults reflect a lifelong period of deliberate effort to improve performance in a specific domain. So lifelong deliberate effort. That's where expertise comes from. And this explains right here why not everyone who shows up to your classes is going to become an expert. Not everyone wants to, to uh, devote a lifelong period of deliberate effort to becoming an aerialist or pole dancer. So what is the appropriate amount of challenge within your class? 
the um, when we think about what the comfort zone is for a student, like where they feel comfortable, that's going to be where success comes 80% of the time. That learning feels like um, it's easy, right? There's an effortlessness about the thing that they're learning. Survival zone is success less than 50% of the time, right? They're confused. They might feel a little desperate in your classes. They might stop coming. <laughs> so we were talking before about challenging and constant new challenges and information. The sweet spot in your classes is going to be success 50 to 80% of the time that there are achievable challenges in your classes. Now that doesn't mean, when I say success 50 to 80% of the time, that doesn't mean that um, you shouldn't work on really challenging things a little bit every class, right? There are some skills that take decades <laughs> to master. And if you don't start training progressions for it soon, in learning, um, you'll never actually build up to that really hard thing. But if you're working on something that's going to take a year to achieve, you probably shouldn't spend all class on it, right? You need to provide success 50 to 80% of the time in your classes. So if you're working on something really hard, you need to spend half of the class also working on something that's achievable. Because although you may want all of these big skills for your students, and they may think that they want those things, they actually may not want the skills themselves, right? They want fun, community, and belonging. And they may think that achieving a skill is going to give them belonging, but it won't. And so if they're working and working and working toward the skill that they never get, they're not getting fun, they're not getting belonging, and they're not getting the skill. Instead, you want to help them build confidence and self-belief that they can do hard things, and they get that through achievement. Always remember that your students don't necessarily want what you want or what you want for them. And the only way that you're going to know what it is that they want is to listen to them. And that they're not always going to tell you, right? <laughs> you're going to have to listen between the lines. So what does it take to be a wildly successful aerial or pole coach? It takes relating to your students, right? Listening, building buy-in, helping them find belonging, having them have chances to contribute and uh, feel like they matter in your classes. So how can you learn all about uh, relating and how to implement all of this into your classes in much more detail um, and things outside of relating, such as 
biomechanics, etc. That is within Cardinal, which is my 200 hour teacher training. In Cardinal, I've basically handpicked all of the skills, the coaching skills, not skills that you can learn on an apparatus, uh, that are most essential to your success as a coach. So these are the things that I wish I would have known when I was first starting out. These are not things that you're going to find in any other complete 200-hour teacher training. Um, and they're the things that I spent a decade and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands actually, <laughs> piecing together on my own. Who is Cardinal for? If you're an aerial pole or other mo movement teacher who cares for your students and you want them to reach their goals, you have a slightly disobedient streak and like to do things a little bit differently. Because honestly, you could take um, a teacher training that focuses just on how to teach X skill or how to teach Y skill, and you have a piece of paper that's going to say that you got a certification. But Cardinal is for people who think that there's more, right? There's more to coaching than how to coach specific skills. Cardinal is for you if the way that you were coached missed the mark in some ways and you want to do better by your students. And it's for people who have perhaps taken a teacher training previously or done an apprenticeship with someone in your studio and thought, wait, this is it. This can't be it. This isn't, you know, this isn't going to give me everything I need to feel really confident in getting results for my students. It's for people who have experienced misogyny and stand against all forms of hate. It's for people who have time to dedicate to analyzing and improving your art, the teaching art, and want to lead and use your positional power, however that manifests, to amplify the voices of marginalized communities. And finally, for people who are tired of endlessly demonstrating in ways that break your body, because yes, we are going to talk about how to better communicate and demo, et cetera, um, so that you're not always having to use your body in that way. Within Cardinal, we go into the method that I developed, momentum, which goes into mobility, mindset, networking, technique, unlearning past habits and strength building, muscle building. I had to come up with an M there, so <laughs> muscle it was. Within Cardinal, you'll learn how to implement a lot, a lot of things, right? This is a 200 hour teacher training um, over a 10 month period. So that is feminist and anti-racist teaching frameworks trauma-informed space holding and consent, building buy-in, which is a lot of what we talked about today, teaching styles and nonlinear pedagogy, somatic movements, coaching communication tools, including cueing, skill acquisition principles, how do you actually uh, work people through acquiring skills, movement efficiency, postural and movement analysis, 
sleep and recovery tools, program design for individuals and classes, shoulder and hip assessment and function, core and breathing principles, upper back and neck assessment and function, goal setting and motivation, and a course on marketing your coaching skills. Because again, if you have no students, what are you doing? <laughs> so the Cardinal is in its third year at this point. It's evolved a little bit every year, but the people that have gone through it have had amazing feedback. Uh, this is from my friend, Britt Crumpton. Cardinal is unquestionably the only mentorship program of its kind. Nothing else like this exists for the aerial community. Immense growth has come from my work with Jessica, but this program in particular has given me all the answers I knew I needed and answers I didn't know I needed as a professional aerial coach. If you're a coach, run. You're here. We talked about this when you first came in today. You're here because you want to be a great coach, but getting there can feel overwhelming because there is so much you could potentially learn to improve your coaching skills. And you could spend thousands of hours and dollars jerry-rigging a solution for yourself, or you could uh, invest in a fully developed program that's already been tested. Another one of my clients, Frida, says, I learned so much about how I want to coach in the future. Cardinal gave me a community of peer coaches who are going through the same thing I'm going through. So it's easy to feel overwhelmed with all of the options that are out there to become a better coach. And you have an easy button, and that is Cardinal. So what do you get? within Cardinal. Um, within Cardinal, there are two different tiers. There is a mentorship track and an accelerated track. The mentorship track has bi-weekly group coaching calls with me to help you actually do the thing. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of times you can sign up for things and it's really hard to make time within your schedule, but having those group coaching calls, make sure that you're continuing along the path to get your money's worth from the program. And we actually go into how to implement all of these things into your coaching and into your classes. It also includes monthly calls with me for one-to-one -one support things that you don't feel comfortable talking about within the group, perhaps issues that you're having within your studio or with specific students. And then you also get access to the Cardinal Education Portal. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds really official. Um, that is the 16 modules that are pre-recorded that go into all of the topics that I talked about previously, including customized homework assignments from those modules. And you have a lifetime access to a closed community that you can network with peers, network with other coaches, and be able to refer back to even after you've been certified. 
The accelerated track is for people who perhaps want to do this a little more quickly, kind of speed through it, get the information as quickly as possible. And it doesn't include those bi-weekly group calls and the monthly call with me. So there is a payment plan, right? The payment plan for 12 months brings the accelerated program down to $197 per month. Um, and the full mentorship track, getting everything is $449 a month. This program only runs once per year, and it's going to launch on Monday, November 6th at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're moving from daylight savings to standard time in November. So just noting there that difference for people who are uh, not in the US. The mentorship track only has 10 spots available because I want to make sure that I can give people um, as much attention as possible. And there's going to be some huge early action bonuses when the program launches on November 6th. So the first five people to enroll are going to get a full audit of their coaching designed to review who you're teaching, where, how, et cetera, to get the most uh, efficiency, efficacy, um, and revenue from whatever coaching arrangement is at this current moment. That's going to be a one-to-one -one strategy deep dive for those first five people. Everyone who enrolls in the first 24 hours gets a two-hour boot camp on social media for coaches. This is going to go into how to grow on social media, how to build trust within your community, and be prolific online without taking hours each day. Also, if you enroll within the first 24 hours, you're going to get a two-hour finance lesson that covers everything that coaches need to know about their finances. This is something that I swear um, people will get five, 10 years into coaching. And I'll ask a question about contracts or accounting, et cetera, and people do not have a handle on. So go ahead and get that now and make sure that um, you are thinking of all the things you need to think about with regard to your finances as an aerial coach. And then, if you enroll in the first 24 hours, you're also going to be placed in a drawing to receive the exact recovery tools that I use. It's going to be a bundle. Um, it will include an Aura Fitness tracker ring and a Hyper Ice Hyper Spear vibrating massage ball and a couple of other goodies that I haven't decided on yet. So the value of that's going to be about $500. All right. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this. Um, I hope you got something out of it and I will talk to y'all later.